chapter 7. Jesus, I'm writing this book in Akron, Ohio. Akron is the hometown of Lebron James, who is perhaps the greatest basketball star in the history of humanity and most definitely Akron's favorite. I know I mentioned him in chapter 6, but enough just can't be said about him. There has never been a time in Akron like the early summer of 2016 when LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers brought Northeast Ohio our first national championship victory in a major sport in many, many decades. The city of Cleveland and all of Northeast Ohio exploded with exuberance and joy. We had been waiting and hoping for a championship for most of our lifetimes. In fact, I've lived in Akron for 25 years. I have deep roots here. I think of it as home, and it wasn't until the Cavaliers' victory in 2016 that I experienced this kind of excitement. In my lifetime, we hadn't had a Super Bowl win, a World Series win, or an NBA championship win until that summer, and I got off easy compared to the many other people who lived their entire lives here without ever having experienced those kinds of victories. But back to LeBron. In his high school, LeBron was coming up through the ranks in Akron and was quickly identified as our potential sports savior in the summer of 2003. The Cleveland Cavaliers won the first pick in the NBA draft and chose him. In that moment, the hopes and dreams of an entire region were placed directly onto LeBron's shoulders. We experienced all kinds of ups and downs with him and the Cavaliers for the next 13 years. Our emotions, thoughts, sports radio airwaves, and internet conversations were filled with the hope that LeBron would one day do what we had hoped he would do for us. Thirteen years later, he delivered on our expectations. He lived up to everything we had hoped he would be, and he carried us into the realm of champions. LeBron is a person who we love and admire for many reasons here in the Akron area. To his immense credit, and I am sure his great relief, he came through for us. He was our basketball messiah who saved us from the depths of frustration. When we think about the idea of a messiah or a savior, it's tied to the notion of deliverance. Obviously, LeBron is not divine, and maybe the NBA championship is not that important to the rest of the world, but I want us to try to get our heads around the idea of putting our hopes in someone. We need a messiah. All of us find ourselves in a position at one point or another where we hope someone notices we're hurting and loves us enough to actually address our struggles and frustrations. Spiritually speaking, the Bible teaches we are all in that desperate place. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, Isaiah 53, 6. Not only are we astray, but the Bible is also very clear that each of us is a sinner, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6:23. In other words, our straying from and sinning against God brought us spiritual death. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1, and KJV. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Messiah. We need someone to save us from our sins. Humanity has recognized this need almost from the very beginning of our creation. That's why the Old Testament has over 300 prophecies about the Messiah to come. For generation after generation, people hoped the Messiah would show up and rescue them. The word Christ means Messiah, and as Christians, we believe Jesus Christ is our Messiah. We believe all the prophecies in the Old Testament pointed to him, and he was and is the Messiah who was promised to come and take away the sins of the world. Jesus' Early Life So who is Jesus? 
The Bible teaches us that Jesus was born of a virgin. To be born of a virgin was obviously a supernatural act of God. The idea of a child being born of a virgin is of course unthinkable outside of a supernatural act of God. It's like God to do a miraculous thing like this to accomplish things that are greater than we could ever achieve on our own. God so loved us that he worked outside the laws of nature and human possibilities to give us Jesus via a virgin. Jesus still had an earthly father, Joseph, who raised him and cared for him, but the Bible teaches us that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Jesus, however, was conceived by the Virgin Mary, just as the prophets foretold. He lived with his earthly mother and father, Mary and Joseph, and he grew up on earth, but was fully God and fully human. His birth is the reason we celebrate Christmas. We know a little bit about his birth, think manger, shepherds, and other nativity scene decorations. For example, we know Joseph and Mary fled Judea to Egypt shortly after Jesus' miraculous birth to escape persecution from King Herod, the king of Judea at the time. King Herod had been told of a prophecy about a baby born in Bethlehem who would one day become king of the Jews, so Herod wanted baby Jesus dead in order to eliminate the threat to his throne. Aside from an intellectually sophisticated conversation Jesus had with the rabbis and teachers in the temple at the age of 12, Luke 2:41 through 52, we don't really know a lot about Jesus' life for the 18 years following his birth. We know he was raised by his earthly mother and father, Luke 2:48, and we know he had half-brothers and half-sisters, Joseph and Mary's biological children, Matthew 13:55 through 56. We also know he learned his father's trade of carpentry, Mark 6.3, so in that window of his life, we can assume he was working, earning a living, and probably positively affecting the lives of the people around him. Jesus never married or had children. He was a faithful son who loved and cared for his father and mother, John 19.26 and 27. At some point, when Jesus was between 12 and 30 years old, Joseph died. The Bible does not tell us how he died or what the circumstances may have been, but we can conclude that his father's passing meant Jesus, the oldest son, assumed the role of provider for the family from that point forward as was the custom. Jesus' Ministry Years Jesus lived a pretty normal life up until the age of 30 when everything changed dramatically. This was the age at which he began what are often called his ministry years, which are recorded most clearly in the books of the Bible referred to as the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Jesus' ministry years really kicked off after his cousin, John the Baptist, baptized him. Baptism is a ceremony in which an individual is immersed in water, and it symbolizes the cleansing of sin. John the Baptist had been preaching and baptizing people around Israel for quite some time, and he started to become influential in many crowds. One day, Jesus approached John the Baptist and asked him to baptize him. In Matthew 3.14, John said, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? Jesus answered, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires, Matthew 3.15. John the Baptist didn't feel worthy enough to baptize Jesus, but Jesus insisted upon it, and John did as he was asked. The Bible says that in that moment, the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove, and God spoke from heaven, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased, Matthew 3.17. 
And with that began Jesus' public ministry and the biblical record of most of his teachings. This was a big deal because this was God's way of making it publicly known that Jesus was the person who was spoken about in the Bible. God was blessing Jesus and letting everyone know they should believe what he says. Jesus is in fact God. He has the authority of God and he can be trusted. To others, Jesus was seen as a rabbi or a Jewish teacher, and he immediately gathered disciples, which is just a fancy word for students. He asked his disciples who came from all walks of life to follow him and his teachings. There was a fisherman, a tax collector, and a doctor, but they all believed that Jesus was a great teacher and indeed God. Jesus traveled with them throughout the nation of Israel, which is about the size of New Jersey. He never left that little slice of land, but he went around teaching in towns and synagogues, which are houses of worship for Jewish people. Throughout his years in ministry, he healed people and performed miracles. He exercised power over the laws of the physical world by doing things like commanding the weather and raising people from the dead. So when we consider Jesus' miraculous works and teachings, it's no surprise he started to attract so many followers. The number of followers he gained was highly controversial and introduced a lot of tension into Jesus' life, mostly from Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the Roman Empire. From their perspectives, Jesus was upsetting the social order and undermining their authority, which made all of them nervous. Everyone, the disciples, the authorities, and his critics alike wrestled with the question of whether this guy named Jesus was truly the Messiah. You and I have to wrestle with that exact same question today. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Our salvation from sin lies in answering yes to that question. In order to answer that question, let's examine some of Jesus' remarkable qualities, namely his sinless, miraculous, and selfless nature. Sinless and miraculous. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, but not Jesus. The Bible says Jesus lived a perfect life. In fact, he's the only person who's ever walked this earth and never sinned. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet he did not sin, Hebrews 4.15. What we can learn from Hebrews 4.15 is that Jesus lived the human experience. He felt lonely sometimes and knew hunger and what it felt like to be cold. He was tempted by the flesh and vulnerable to pride, yet he never sinned. He honored his heavenly Father in every way and never gave in to temptation. His sinlessness is unlike any other human being. There are many people in history who made a positive impact like Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln, and Mother Teresa, all great humans who stood for great things that were true and right, but none of them claimed to be sinless. And again, let's not forget the miracles Jesus performed. He calmed a storm, multiplied scraps of bread and fish to feed 5,000 people, healed blind and ill people, raised people from the dead, and that's just to name a few. We have to consider these pieces of evidence too when deciding whether or not he is the Messiah. Jesus is a unique figure in human history. He was a sinless person who performed miracles. No one else did those things. Selfless. Jesus was willing to and did suffer for us. He laid down his life. Let's take a look at the words of Isaiah who wrote about the Messiah to come. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. 
We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels, Isaiah 53, 1-12. Notice some of those phrases. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. When we read that prophecy and compare it to Jesus' suffering and death, we see how Jesus fulfilled it in great detail. A skeptic may think, of course, he claimed to be sinless, and of course he performed miracles and did wonderful things. They were self-aggrandizing and made him look good. But why would he choose to suffer and die if he wasn't the Messiah? He certainly didn't benefit from it. It was a selfless act. Jesus' suffering and death are important pieces of evidence in the case for Jesus as the Messiah. I lean into this knowledge when it comes to what Jesus did and who he is. He said something fascinating in John chapter 10. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded, verse 17. Jesus did not suffer because he was caught up in a political system or a victim of unfortunate circumstances. Jesus suffered and laid his life down willingly and knowingly. Jesus did not suffer because he was caught up in a political system or a victim of unfortunate circumstances. Jesus suffered and laid his life down willingly and knowingly. He knew his life could pay for the sins of many. He could be the Messiah who provided the forgiveness we desperately need. Piece the evidence together. Jesus was sinless. He was powerful enough to command the weather, to raise people from the dead, and to perform miracles. He fulfilled nearly 350 different prophecies from the Bible. Jesus was beaten, crucified, and died not for his own glory and not for his own benefit, but for me and you. The Messiah came and he willingly gave his life for us so we could be set free from our sins. Piece the evidence together. He is credible, and we can put our trust in his power. He is powerful enough to change your life. God loves you so much that he gave his only son, so that if you believe in him, your soul will not perish, John 3:16. In other words, your sins will not lead you to spiritual death, but you will receive everlasting life. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, John 3:17. Jesus was everything we hoped he would be. He is the Messiah, born again. The question each person faces is, will I recognize Jesus as the Messiah of my life? Jesus provides justification for our sins. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Justification simply means that Jesus paid the price for you and me. He took the sins of the world upon himself and settled the payment for our sin when he died on the cross in our place. Now you and I have a way to salvation and can be made right with God. Jesus wants to forgive you of your sins. As the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Further, the Bible reads, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Simply, we must ask for and receive the forgiveness of our sins from Jesus and Jesus alone. In other words, we must first agree with God that we are sinners and Jesus is our Messiah and the only path to salvation. Then we must ask for forgiveness, knowing that in doing so, we are placing our life under the authority of Jesus. Then and only then will our sins be forgiven and we will be saved. Ephesians 2.8 reads, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This verse tells me that I became a child of God when I admitted to God that I am an imperfect sinner who has rebelled against him, and when I asked for the forgiveness offered to me through Jesus Christ. I was saved, or to use Jesus' words, I was born again, 1 Peter 1.23. Remember the beginning of this book when I said I'd never pressure you to become a Christ follower. I said those are your decisions to make, and you have to want it. I stand by those statements, but I also want to invite you to become a Christ follower if it's what you want to do. After everything we've discussed so far in our journey together, if you have come to the place where you too believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, then I invite you to invite him to forgive you of your sins and to place your life under his leadership and direction. As I said before, there are no magic words or secret formula. From your heart to God's heart, I encourage you to ask for the forgiveness of your sins and ask for the salvation of Jesus. Don't worry about saying it right, just mean it in your heart. If you are not to that point yet, that's fine. You can continue on this journey with me as we fill in these blanks and discover the wonder of who Jesus is. Headspace. Connect with God. The Bible records Jesus talking to a woman getting water from a well. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, John 4:25 and 26. God sent prophets with prophecies, then angels to Jesus, birth Luke 2. Then God even spoke from heaven so many people could hear him proclaiming that Jesus was his son, Matthew 3.16. Then Jesus performed many miracles, see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Jesus even confirmed the rumors himself. Jesus claimed to be God. What do you find significant about God becoming human? Why do you think God works so hard to confirm and reconfirm Jesus' legitimacy as the Messiah?
So when you think about a sinless, loving God who came to earth solely because he loves us and wants to help rescue us from the wages of our sin, what do you think that God must be like? Do you think he is harsh, cold, and condemning? Or do you think he has a passion for your heart, for your life, and for your future and wants to give you a gift of salvation? The answer to the question, is Jesus a loving God or harsh God, is the answer that sets in the foundation for everything else that we hear from the scripture and every other determination that we may ever make about Christ. Connect with others. If you start thinking about how God connects with you, that he loves you and is full of grace and mercy in giving his life for you, how does that motivate you to give your life for them? How does Jesus' love change our relationships with other people? What would it look like to live your life from a place of security, comfort, grace, and mercy as opposed to a place of insecurity questioning whether you will make it to heaven or not? What does this mean for you? There was an apostle, Thomas, who over time earned the nickname Doubting Thomas. He always had a hard time trusting and believing without seeing it for himself. At one point, Thomas basically asked Jesus how to get to God. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6 in our world, people have provided so many answers for how to get to God. The Bible only provides one answer, Jesus. If you are still exploring what the Bible has to say, take this time to start writing a list of questions you have about the God of the Bible so you can pursue them as you read. If you are curious about Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah, Savior, and God over all creation, take time to talk to him about your spiritual journey and even make a decision to follow him. 